Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mind Muscle Connection. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Tyler Weeb. Tyler, I, I sprung this topic on you, I know, with without much notice, but as has become a little bit of my habit, once I'm talking in certain mediums during a week about a topic, I just really can't stop. I, I keep going. And, and I found that having the different people to bounce ideas from and, and gather experiences that are, are a little bit less myopic is, is actually very helpful. So uh, in the Nutrition Coaching Global Mastermind this week, we had a special guest host, a licensed mental health therapist that I've actually known for 20 some years. And we talked about eating disorders and specifically the chaos that can come with that even term and how people feel. And I think as nutrition coaches, we've had a lot of experience on a lot of different ends of that topic. Uh, but then there's there's also a, a chance for courage. This friend of mine who's a cognitive behavioral therapist uh, from his website uses the word courage because you know when when you're when you're seeking help and you're looking for change, that's that's part of the whole process. It has to be. But then we as coaches have to understand our role. And I'm very heavy-handed when I teach coaches and mentor about scope of practice. You know, I'm not a licensed mental health therapist. You're not a licensed mental health therapist, but yet we are a frontline worker, so to speak, in this realm. We have a lot of people in our industry that are either attracted in because they have a lot of that disturbance already. Maybe they have some growing or full-blown dysmorphia. And so I really like that my friend, the therapist, kind of, you know, bridged that gap. And he said, you guys definitely don't need to worry about overreach. I mean, of course, you're not therapists and you shouldn't do that. But but man, of course, you are right there with these people and you can do a lot more than you probably think. And so before I get into some of those things we talked about, I thought it would be a great time for us to parallel a conversation on the topic as just pure coaches. And in, in your experience so far, how many people do you think that come to you, you know, not necessarily a percentage, but just, you know, in, in general, um, you know, it's a large percent, a small percent who, who really come in with some challenges that they may not even know about. And you just think, wow, this person is, is struggling and, and we're dancing a very tight line here. It's a, it's an interesting question because I do think that there is a spectrum here that we can can go along. Now, we certainly have our our eating disorders, you know, they're they're documented, you know, anorexia, bulimia. Um, I know they I can't quite remember the name of the clean eating one. I think it started with an O uh, a few years ago, like we had like this new one. I'm sure there's other ones that I'm not mentioning. You know, so we have those. But then just from my experience, I haven't had, and I haven't worked with a lot of people on, on that side. Okay. There has been a few, there has been some, uh, recovering anorexic people who they've had anorexic anorexia in the past, things like that, but nothing where it's, it's very current. You know, I would say, and, and, you know, I don't want to use the term lightly eating disorder, uh, by any means, but I, I think that, you know, on this spectrum here, you know, especially, you know, with a lot of the clients that I work with, we run into, you know, an eating disorder of their, their feelings, their thoughts and their ideas around food. And what I really tend to see here is that, you know, we almost have this, <clears throat> you know, it's your classic clean versus dirty eating. And we just don't know how to integrate the, the two within our lives. And a lot of people 
that I tend to work with, it's how do we find this structured flexibility for you where, you know, we're not just binarily thinking of food of, you know, good food versus bad food, you know, how can we create an environment where, and I'm just going to use the terms good versus bad moving forward, because people just know what we know what that means, despite us, you know, maybe not liking those terms. Um, you know, how do we create this environment where, yeah, maybe our diet is majority made up of, you know, 80% of good food that's whole nutrient dense, you know, vitamins, minerals, there is certainly something to be said about, you know, performance, recovery, our overall health of having those foods. But how do we start to change our mindset around the other stuff? And a lot of times I'll ask someone like, when was the last time you had to get together that did not involve some type of food? Most people can't answer that because most get togethers, you know, is going to be surrounded some, some type of food. And so it's like, how do we navigate those situations and how do we view food in those situations, still keep our goals in mind, but, you know, find this balance of enjoying ourselves. So I don't know if you want to necessarily call that a, a eating disorder, but that is definitely a, you know, big mental hurdle, you know, life hurdle that a lot of people are fighting and dealing with. So I would say that's the majority of my clients that, or the people that I've worked with over the years. And I love that you use the word spectrum because that is the very first place that my friend went as a therapist. And, you know, he even made the comment that because he's in the camp of therapists who don't necessarily even agree that the DSM is, is that necessary. And, uh, you know, when, when you label somebody, you unfortunately are labeling them on a spectrum that any of us could probably show pretty heavy characteristics of at given times. So uh, I, I think that's very important. And, and I also, when I'm working with people that I think, you know, they are either already there or we risk going there. I'm very careful to treat nutrition uh, like I've heard a lot of therapists talk about it, you know, even in like suicide prevention where, you know, don't jump into something that somebody may already be catastrophizing and just add more anxiety. So to diffuse is the right thing to, you know, bring that temperature down a bit. It, and I, I almost made this an experiment with my local facility when, when I reopened a satellite spot here just nine or 10 months ago. I thought I'm going to do this as an all-inclusive thing. It's not that you can come do training and by the hour and this and that, and, and here's a nutrition program and you can do this or this. It's just you come in here and you get everything. And that has allowed me to de-emphasize the nutrition a little bit. So I'm getting to know people. I'm connecting with them. We've got a whole health plan that includes fitness and nutrition. And I'm telling you, it has been a gigantic difference in that we speak less about the details. It gives them a chance to settle in. And that also, surprisingly to me, was the first point of my, my friend, the therapist, who said, you know, your, your first role should be just connect, just connect with these people. Um, you don't have to dive in and fix things. You don't have to acknowledge things. You know, you're, that's not your role. But just if that's what you can do, if you can make somebody feel heard and dive into some of those struggles with them, and, and of course, be the technician you are with nutrition, but just connect and empathize. He said, I'm telling you, like 90% of people will come back the other way. And so I, I also wonder just you as a competitor speaking on this spectrum, when you have dieted for a contest, 
How close were you to a place at any time that you felt like, damn, I am focusing too much on food. I, is this even, is, is this disordered? Am I dysmorphic? Am I going over the edge? Like, have you ever personally felt that way? No, I haven't because I mean, I've only done two contest preps in my life. Um, I've certainly dieted, but I've never have gotten to like a such low calorie level like I've done in contest prep, but I knew that it was just for this period of time only. And that, you know, I was going to be getting more food at, you know, X point and it was going to end now, you know, certainly did it get to a point where, you know, I was, you know, dreaming about food. Like I was having food dreams. Yeah. I was certainly having like a, you know, full table turkey dinner, like in my dream, like, you know, tasting Oreos in my mouth. Like I'm pretty sure I've, I've mentioned that on this podcast. Um, you know, I would say post-show is, is probably the hardest and where the propensity to, 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 to potentially have an eating disorder or to go that way is going to arise. Um, I can't quite fully say if I felt that way after my last show. Uh, I know you were there for part, part of it and, and, you know, what I was going through with the hunger and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, again, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, it's going to end at some point. Um, and, and for myself, yeah, it's just, it's never been an issue. I've never really had an issue with food. Um, you know, I didn't diet for the first time until I, you know, I was in my mid twenties, like I had never dieted until then. Right. So, you know, it, that's just never been something for me. How about yourself? Well, this is a point that if we were in court, I would be submitting evidence for that time we were together <laughs> show. And I would say the look in your eye in the things you were eating, I was quite worried about you. And that's the guy trying to push me to have another milkshake that night. Which, Tyler, just have another one. Just have you, another one. <laughs> you very willingly did. I can see that. Just see that. Like, like there was a, there was definitely a chaotic, scrambled, unhappy look to you where. Right. I, I could see and I could feel all of that tension with you of like, I'm, I just want to keep eating and eating. And I know I shouldn't, but I want to. And dude, it was, it was seriously like looking like, like uh, an angry dog sometimes in your eyes when we were around food and, and not to pick on you, but no, no, just to illustrate the point that yeah. when you are in a food centric scenario, it can pull anybody toward those gray areas. Right. And, and that's why, so j- just to, kind of bounce from what my, my friend was discussing on the nutrition coaching global mastermind podcast um, to what I, I think is probably the, the newest psychological model for addressing eating disorders. And again, like you said, let's, let's just call this a spectrum. Let's not make it a label as a mental illness, but just in any kind of distorted type of feelings or, or behaviors around food. And up to very, very recent times, Every single treatment was geared around psychology. And so some researchers said, why is, why is nobody talking about the biology? Why is nobody talking about things like blood sugar and hypothalamus and ghrelin and leptin? And, and uh, you know, are, are these people even eating well? Are they meeting nutritional standards that would be appropriate that would help them with some of these behaviors? It's all psych, 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 psych. And so one particular group did a, did a review and they found that Cognitive behavioral therapy, literally counseling people for eating disorders was just as effective as a placebo. In other words, zero impact. But 
you start doubling in with some actual eating training, with some nutrition education, and this is our realm. This is what we do. You know, that shows that there is a real need and a place. But of course, with some collaboration, because we are not psychologists, and, and perhaps even just, just redefining this entire model. So I, I really, if, if I could look at that as a different continuum, the, the psychology and the biology, and again, on a sliding continuum, you know, what do people need more of maybe chronologically in their journey with their experiences? And I'm speaking of keeping this topic rolling, doing a Flexible Dieting Institute research review tomorrow on this particular meta-analysis where I announce some of the things that they're looking at and some of their findings, because I, I, I just think this is a man, if, if I could say in my 30 year career, like this, this will be a nice bow on a couple loose ends. I, I'm just thrilled that, that psychologists are actually looking at this now. Yeah. And I, I, I might have to, too, I'm going to tune into that. That's, that should be pretty interesting because yeah, it, you know, we do have, you know, such control our, you know, ourselves as coaches, you know, over that you know, biology portion. Um, and, you know, I think if, if you are a good coach, you're still going to understand, even if you're not quite the, the scope of practice expert, you're, you're still going to understand the psychology of eating and how much it means to us. You know, I remember going through NAMS level one and kind of that first chapter was like, you know, kind of what, you know, how important food is to us and just culturally religion, uh, you know, social stat, like everything is kind of just surrounded by food. And so to just really kind of help these, you know, these people navigate through this, you know, biologically by, you know, getting them the, the right amounts of protein, you know, vitamins, et cetera, you can have such a big impact potentially on that psychological component because you're, you're basically, you're kind of getting the, you know, the, the results from your work, right? So it's kind of like, oh, okay, like, maybe I don't trust this right now. But as the coach, you know, we're building that trust, like you said, we're getting to know the person we're we're getting to know their experiences, and then starting to give tips and, and, and tricks, if you will, you know, based off of that. And then, you know, once we're able to start going down that road, they're able to kind of start seeing, you know, those results from this work that they're doing, you know, that's going to, in my opinion, would start to help with that psychological portion as well. And so, you know, maybe there's that in the study where it's like, maybe the biology precedes the psychology because they kind of need to see those changes manifest themselves, you know, before we can kind of go, oh, okay, like now I fully understand it, right? Like there's a big difference between understanding something logically and understanding something emotionally. Right. And the goal is to kind of get those two things to connect. So do we can do the logical so we can get the emotional because we do see those positive results. Then another thing you just picked out and, and I'm very happy you did is, you know, biology may precede psychology. And with the first half of my career being all health and physical sciences, the second half being social science, social psychology, you know, I'm straddling a line and I, and I, you know, without any real intent ended up, I think in a good place where I can see the, the psych and the physical in, in everybody, including myself, at least in, in terms of, you know, the importance. And yet I always do come back to biology first, biology first, biology first, because out of our brain emanates our thoughts and behaviors. And we know from, from neuroscientists that, you know, some of the greatest predictors of decisions you'll make and behaviors that you'll engage in are completely because of your psychology. You know, the famous uh, 
Texas, um, you know, school was it? Um, he, he was in like a tower shooting, you know, the, this uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic, violent attack and blah, 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 blah. And they found out afterwards that that guy had a, a tumor pressing on his pituitary gland. And we know that, for example, the, the, the only single common denominator in the sentence leniency or severity of judges are, you know, how, how long has it been since they've eaten? So blood glucose levels will dictate somebody's even occupation like that. Uh, you know, we, we talk about things like, uh, you know, don't ever buy a car that was built on a Friday because people are tired and, you know, so forth. <laughs> and, and so, again, all of these things go back to the physical, the biological. And you're exactly right. If we can teach our clients who may be struggling and, and maybe just take, talking to people in general, if, if you're somebody who, who is struggling, you know, look at some of those things that we know biologically. If, if you just have a certain type of breakfast, for example, certain macronutrient profiles, studies show you will eat 400 calories less per day, for example. We know another big study that if you just eat your biggest meal a little bit earlier in the day, like instead of dinner, you know, lunch, you know, those people will lose twice as much body fat and report a lot less hunger, even though they're eating, you know, ad libitum. And so on and on and on and on and on, as you said, tricks and tips. It's like, you know, this is, this is actual documented stuff. And I, and I always take my clients back to let's try it. Let's experiment. Have you done this? Have you considered this? Let's make this flip. Let's see, let's, let's see if this will work. And you, you have this entire cadre of physiological knowledge and the processes that we understand. And yet you still have that person's life. You have their social settings every single day that may fluctuate. You have their, their physiology that may be fluctuating with sleep times and so forth. And, and instead of instantly thinking, oh, this is a psychological issue or it's a matter of will or discipline. Well, maybe not. Maybe there are just some really easy things you can, you can change and everything just gets right back on track. Kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and, and that's, and that is what I always try and, and come back to, you know, with my clients as well is let's try the simple things. Like, let's, and, and I think it can be eye opening for, for coaches of, you know, what we think might be, you know, common knowledge or just like a common thing that you would think of when X is going this way a lot of people just aren't going to think, I mean, that's why they've hired us, right? Like that's why they've hired us as a coach. And so it's up to us to ask these questions of how is your sleep? You know, how much sleep are you getting? You know, what is your water intake? How, what is your overall stress? Like, like what's going on in life right now? Because a lot of those things can affect those, you know, those data points that we are seeing at our check-ins. And so, yeah, being able to, you know, dive in and coming back to just knowing the client and getting to know the client, you know, relationships, relationships, like that is literally what this is all about. And then making, you know, those adjustments, presenting, you know, solutions to people like you know, for a lot of scenarios, I'll try to come to that person with two to three options of, okay, we can try this, this, or this. And then I try and let them decide, you know, which way we're going to go and I'll give them pros and cons for both and we'll talk it through. But ultimately, you know, the client in, in some certain context, they're going to know themselves the best and what potentially could lead to the most success because, you know, that's what we're ultimately here for. And that's, you know, when I go into a conversation like this with a client, that's what I tell them. I'm like, 
you know, here are our options. I don't really care what we do in a sense, because ultimately what's most important is getting you to be successful and whatever we can do for that, whatever's going to be best for you. That's the option that we're going to want to take because that's going to lead to the most consistency, the most buy-in and by, you know, therefore the best results, right. In theory. So yeah, really being able to just have all of these solutions, you know, keeping them simple. Um, yeah, there's there's just so much we can do for for our clients that are coming to the coming to us, you know, with these issues that, um, yeah, there there shouldn't be too many roadblocks that that we can't work through. And surely there has to be in one of those bottles behind you a cure for eating right? disorders, right? Oh, oh. <laughs> one of those can help anybody. All these magic supplements, right? <laughs> I'm going to close with this and it's going to be what I think was you know, truly wise for my friend. I, I should just mention him. It's, it's Jeff Stuckey, S-T-U-C-K-E. We'll put his name in the show notes because uh, he, he is a mental health therapist and even does some e-therapy. But um, he said one of the most important things is just to remember to have a calm confidence. And he was talking to coaches and, and I thought that is also the greatest type of advice you could give to somebody who is on that user end, that, that interface of feeling frenetic and chaotic and, oh my gosh, this is happening and why am I binging? You know, you mentioned anorexia and bulimia, but binge eating disorder is, is, is the top at this point, as well as that rigid eating psychology. But, um, you know, I, when I see people struggle, that would be their first antidote. Everybody I know that gets so wrapped up and just, anxiety. I, I have a, a client right now who, um, you know, be, you know, post-surgical, she's finally getting it, it, at the place where she can train and there's probably some extra protein synthesis happening, you know, three months of doing nothing. And so, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, her weight has gone up, you know, one pound and then another pound and then another, another pound. And just seeing that, even though there's probably a zero body fat gain, you know, freaking her out, and just daily, these these unbelievably just dark places, and I'm like, man, just just give it time. Like like this is normal. And and if these little changes on the scale are driving you into these these bad places, it's pretty indicative of of you know where her entire life might be. And if I can you know come in and explain these things with some physiological rationality and show her why, and maybe this, and just, just again, bring that calm confidence. That's a great asset we bring, but I also have to advocate to everybody listening. If you feel like you're in that space, you know, take that same advice, you know, calm down, think about it logically. Don't measure success based on the scale every single day. Those are just data points that will create some trend lines that will never be perfectly linear. Um, but any, any final thoughts in, in that, just, just a parting word of advice for anybody who may be really feeling like they're in a crisis point. I think you said it so well that, uh, yeah, it's just, it's having, you know, bringing that calm confidence. It's, I think just making sure that, you know, we're having that reassurance of your whole self isn't tied up in this. And I think that's something that is some, you know, I try and reiterate that, you know, the scale is just a piece of machinery that sits next to where you take a shit, right? Like that's, that's all that it is. It does not determine who you are as a person. Um, you know, we say it shouldn't affect your day and, and it can for sure. And, and we, we like, like you were just talking about, right? Like that's, that's a very common thing. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just that reassurance it's listening, it's being sympathetic, 
emphasizing with the person, but at the same time, you know, kind of giving them the truth and, and in a way that, you know, they can digest it and, you know, something that they can maybe put at the forefront of their mind when they're weighing themselves, eating, you know, et cetera. And, and I lied. I'm not going to close with that. I got one more thing I'm going to close with, <laughs> yeah, but, but I want to come back to this point of biology because, you know, this is why ketogenic dieting creates the most eating disorders and it's the least sustainable because it just overreaches. So biologically, if you find you are struggling with any kind of distortion in your eating behavior, it could be and is most probably because you're just trying too hard. You, you can't reduce calories too far. There's a biological norm that you trip that threshold and you're just going to have those survival mechanisms kick in. You can't, you can't overdo exercise. You, you, there, there is a spot where things can go perfectly well and you're making it day to day, meal to meal. You're fine. You, you've probably had those times. Other times, if you're just pushing the boundaries too far, biology will not let you do that. And so you'll, you'll get slammed into a brick wall over and over. Then you psychologically think you're failing, but you're destined to fail at that point. Your DNA will not let you starve yourself to death. And, and so I think, you know, it, again, you know, what I'm going to talk about in our, in our FDI research review is that, that constant pinging back and forth between the biology and the psychology. So thanks again, Tyler, always appreciate your inputs. And especially with this topic, I've been, you know, kind of immersed in, in a week. It's, it's great to hear your thoughts on that. So we will see you guys next time in the mind muscle connection.